This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Wednesday, May 12th. The Cubs and Indians wrapping up a two-game set back in Cleveland, and the Cubs dropping both of those games, each by just a single run. So we will take a look at those two games, as has been the trend lately, unfortunately. We have more kind of roster and injury updates to take care of and and get us ready for the off day on Thursday and then a weekend series with the Detroit Tigers. But Brendan, you know, obviously I'm disappointed to lose these two games, especially frustrating to lose two one-run games that were, you know, the Cubs had a ton of opportunities in these two games. They left uh, an, an army of men on base in in combined these two games but it it kind of dampens my ability to make my 2016 jokes and the cubs playing on a wednesday in cleveland and all that they went to extra innings brian shaw pitched in the game on wednesday mm-hmm. brian shaw of course the pitcher who gave up the hits to ben zobrist miguel montero in game 7 of the world series and it's, you know, it, it's still fun to make those jokes, and I did, but it would have been nice if the Cubs could have at least won one of these games. Yeah, well, when Brian Shaw came in in that last game, it, you just can't help but think about, you know, the context and all that. But also, like, it was a reminder, too, just um, imagine being a fan of Cleveland right no. now. Like, <laughs> I don't you, want to. Can, can you, like... I'm just trying to think what would happen if the Cubs had lost that game seven and went through this stretch. Like we may not be doing this podcast. Well, right and now. now, you know, of course they this offseason they trade off Lindor and you know, they're you, you know, people think the Cubs have payroll and budget issues. Like Yeah, so I mean, even though they lost two games, it's like, all right, well, you know, big picture, we're World Series champions. We're maybe in a better position in the Indians, even though I'm not familiar with them per se, but like it is a reminder, you go back to Cleveland, you see how the team has changed. And it's like, oh, we, we avoided a complete catastrophe. We did, Brendan. Um, <laughs> I don't like to often think back to how I felt, uh, you know, in the later innings of Game 7 before the Cubs had, had regained the lead. But I remember it being a very dark place, a very dark place in my mind that I hope not to visit again. Could you have, like, actually watched Cubs baseball after that? Because that, that, was, that was my concern when that was going on is, like— like I'm a psycho fan yeah. when it comes to this, but th- there there is a point where it's like, how much pain can I take before I, it's like too much? I don't, I you know, I don't, I want to relitigate that game because certain points I think are uh, particularly triggering for people, and you know just how wild they were and depressing they were at the time and stuff like that. But I I do remember once the game was tied, kind of just thinking like, you know, how if they don't come back and win this game, how do I get up for this again? Right? right? Like, am I going to show up in Mesa in March and be like, all right, you know, this time, I, like, I don't, I don't know. And I would have, of course I would have, right? We, I, you know, I, I think, honestly don't know, dude. I really, yeah. I really don't know. <laughs> like, it was a lot to consider. It was just like, man, yeah. like this, you know, I've, I've sat through, you know, live some of these moments and uh, the people who are older than us have sat through even more. It's, and it's, this feels like potentially the, the worst one. Like, how do we, yeah get over that. Um, But luckily, everybody, that's not a reality we have to consider because Ben Zobris did get that hit, Miguel Montero did get that hit, and Mike Montgomery did get that tough play to Chris Bryant, and the Chicago Cubs did win the World Series. So enjoy your two wins in the 2021 regular season, Cleveland, all right? Anyway, let's run through these couple games. Uh, We do have uh, a lot to talk about, a two-game series, but with what happened in the series and everything going on with this roster, we we did end up still with 
uh, a lot to fill a podcast episode with, so let's take you through these just right quick. On Tuesday, it was a 3-2 to two Indians win. Shane Bieber on the mound. He goes six and two-thirds, nine hits, two earned runs, three walks, and eight strikeouts. The absurdly frustrating thing in this game is that you were facing the reigning AL Cy Young winner in Shane Bieber, and you had him on the ropes almost every inning, right? And and even just a little station-to-station kind of hitting or moving guys over, getting them in, would have gotten the Cubs more than three runs, uh, but they didn't do that, so they did not win this game. Uh, Adbear Alzali, though, with a really nice start, and we will talk about him in more depth uh, as he is and will continue to be one of our primary focuses in the 2021 season for his value here, and then, of course, his plans uh, for the future and how the Cubs see him fitting in there. He goes six innings, five hits, three earned, no walks, and six strikeouts, so he does get hung with the loss, which is very unfortunate, and I don't think anybody on that offense should have looked him in the eye. So the Cubs get their runs in this game. The They did take a one to nothing lead in the top of the second on a Wilson Contreras single that brought home Anthony Rizzo. Jose Ramirez does take Alzali deep. That's his 10th home run of the year. Jose Ramirez, of course, the runner-up to the MVP in the 2020 season to the White Sox, Jose Abreu. So no shame in giving up a bomb to him, of all people. In the top of the fifth, in one of the uh, more, you know, kind of one of those like baseball is baseball kind of moments, uh, Eric Sogard, his first home run of the year, taking Shane Bieber deep. So go figure, right? That gave the Cubs a two to one lead, but in the bottom of the fifth, uh, that very next half inning, Cesar Hernandez takes Alzali deep with a runner on base that made it three to two, and that would be all that she wrote. On Tuesday, the Cubs leave 10 men on base. They go 1-4-12 with runners in scoring position. So when I said they had Bieber on the ropes, they did uh, for most of that start. A couple double plays and just, of course, the lack of those uh, big-time hits with runners in scoring position. Do them in. On Wednesday, the finale of this two-game set, it was a 2-1 extra innings loss for the Cubs. Zach Davies with another solid start. He only goes five and a third, but it was only 75 pitches. David Ross, you know, kind of getting him out of there uh, before going through that Cleveland lineup too many times. Five and a third, six hits, one earned, two walks, and four strikeouts. So that's two in a row, but, you know, solid starts from Zach Davies. So that is a positive development. The starting pitching did pretty much everything they could in this series. Pitching in general did everything they could. I, I didn't mean to leave the bullpen out there. Um, they, they did all they could, but the offense just wasn't there. And, you know, sometimes it goes that way. Sometimes it goes the other. The Cubs got their only run in this game on a Jock Peterson double. He had a very, very nice day, did Jock Peterson, and his numbers have started to trend in that right direction. Since he came back from the injured list, he has been, I I think, the player that he and, and we all hoped he would be. Uh, But in the bottom of the sixth, the Cubs had a lead for, it felt like, Brendan, 30 seconds, like right when they came back from that commercial break to get us into the bottom of the sixth. Uh, It took two batters for Cleveland, and they had tied the game on an Ahmed Rosario RBI double. And then we waited until the bottom of the 10th. Keegan Thompson did all that he could with that inherited runner, but it does eventually score again on an Ahmed Rosario RBI single, 2-1 to the final. So all told, uh, the pitching was quite good in this series. We saw Brad Week relieve Adbert Alzali. In the first game, he had a clean inning with just a strikeout, nothing else, and Rex Brothers, a clean inning with two strikeouts and nothing else in that first game. And in the second game, following Zach Davies, we saw Justin Steele with two-thirds of an inning, a walk, and two strikeouts, but he did pitch out of a tough inherited jam that Zach Davies had led him to keep a run off the board, so that was important at the time uh, to keep that game going. Ryan Tapera with a clean inning, just a strikeout, nothing else. Andrew Chafin with two clean innings, two strikeouts, nothing else. And Keegan Thompson goes two-thirds of an innings, one hit, the one run. And he did walk two, 
Uh, but of course, you know, that is dealing with the inherited runner in extra innings. So not, uh, you know, really much to say about the young kid there making uh, an effort to try to keep the game going. So the pitching was quite good, Brendan, um, but the offense just wasn't there. In, in I, I mentioned those stats in the first game. In the second game, the Cubs team left on base was 15, and they go one for 15 with runners in scoring position. So in the two games, that is one for 27, excuse me, two for 27 with runners in scoring position and a total of 25 runners left on base. When you lose two one-run games and the Indians only score five runs in the series, those numbers are particularly frustrating, Brendan. This is a weird two-game set because I walk away from these two losses not really that discouraged. And despite the losses, I walk away with it being more optimistic, weirdly enough, than before the two-game set. And my reasons for optimism include Jock looking good. Alzelay is becoming, you know, every fifth day, some of the most electric pitching we've seen on the Cubs in quite some time. And Wilson Contreras, Corey, had a good series. He went four for five in that last game. And that was my biggest concern probably going into this week was how is Wilson going to look after that hamstring injury? And he answered with a four for five day on Wednesday. But just going back to Alzelay, man, like what what he's doing is is remarkable. He's throwing sliders over half the time and he threw 44 sliders against the Indians and for him to go head versus head with Shane Bieber to see kind of this stuff compare like Alzelay had 18 total whiffs against the Indians Shane Bieber one of the better pitchers in the league had 13 whiffs and it's a lot of 13 whiffs is a lot of whiffs for one starter so it puts into perspective just how good Adber was on Tuesday and of those 18 whiffs, 15, Corey, came against sliders. 15 whiffs. Now, I don't have the data in front of me, but I, I'm pretty confident saying that's probably the most whiffs. I mean, it is. It has to be. That's the most whiffs Alzelay has ever gotten with with one pitch. Um, and going back even to last year and the year before, this this might be the most whiffs I've seen for one pitch alone for any of the Cubs starters at all. I have to go back and check that. But it's just it, it's insane to see 15 whiffs pop out on this spreadsheet. And so that is just showing how advanced Alzelay is now with that pitch. And in addition to that slider, which he threw 44 times, guess what? Sinkers. He threw 38 sinkers. So he threw 82 pitches of sinkers and sliders, and I say this all the time, but I'm still blown away, didn't have those two pitches a year ago. Those are two relatively new pitches by Alzelay. He's He has ace stuff, Corey. This, this is what aces do. They get tons and tons of whiffs. And when you also couple that with a walk rate under two, it's 1.97 walks per nine innings right now, with a strikeout rate, strikeout K per nine in double digits, that is ace-type material. Now, for him to get to the next stage, we talked about it in the past few episodes. He needs to go deeper into games, which he got the chance to in the sixth inning by David Ross. That was good to see. But also, he's not immune to some home runs recently. So his home run per fly ball rate is about twice that than the league average. So a little bit higher. That might be kind of a... A double-edged sword, though, because right now outside is living up in the zone. He loves throwing fastballs up in the zone. So that might be something for, for now that you just have to live with. He's going to get and induce more fly balls than the average type pitcher. Right now, his ground ball rate's only 38%. That's below league average. Uh, so he's, he has a lot of balls getting up in the air. It's just how his game is right now. Now, does he deserve that many home runs? You know, t- Time will tell. But sign me up for double-digit strikeouts per game. Uh, Walk per nine under two. I will take that every single year. Again, every fifth day, it's Adbert Alcelay Day. One of my favorite pitchers to watch. It's finally, finally time we have a Cubs pitcher doing this at his age. Yeah, this was an impressive start. I mean, certainly the Cleveland offense is not one of the best in the league, and, you know, you can say whatever you want about that, but you pitch against the lineup that you're facing. There's nothing that Adbert can do about that. 
Um, as I said, going up against someone like Shane Bieber, you know, having that feeling, even though it, it may be, you know, the Cubs offense did have him on the ropes, you know, as the opposing starting pitcher, you certainly are, are dealing with that pressure of feeling like, okay, I need to be on tonight because I don't think that other guy is going to give up a lot. So I need to be on to keep my team in the game. He definitely did that. Like you said, got beat by the home run ball. Um, but this was this was an impressive start. And, and one of the things that we've been focusing on and I think preaching with Alzali in particular is patience for him to become the pitcher that we all want him to be. Because I think as we've gone through this year in particular, you're you're seeing those steps get taken, right? And and sometimes it's a slow process. I know we're all waiting for those outings, right? Where he's going seven, eight innings or throwing a complete game shutout or flirting with no hitters, stuff like that, to the point that he's getting himself into that ace, that top of the league type discussion. And, you know, we'll see if he gets there and how that all goes. But you, you preach patience because this is all part of the process. This is all a learning experience for him. And as we've seen through the time that he's been up with the Cubs and you know then sent back down, then brought back up, etc., he puts in the work. He makes the adjustments, and you see the tangible results when he is putting those adjustments to work. And so it's, it's a process, right? And those big starts, those dominant starts, those, you know, Cy Young looking type starts, they're going to come. But that, that I think, is one of the most important things about 2021. And we've said this before, but it, as he keeps going, it, it bears repeating that getting him to go along that process, achieve those milestones, you know, pitch deeper into games. I think it was a few starts ago that he had thrown the the most pitches he had in a game. He had gone the deepest he had in a game. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's checking the boxes, right? And it's not going to happen overnight, but like you said, Brendan, I mean, we have on our hands someone who is appointment viewing. You have got to be there when Alzali is on the mound because he represents the future of this pitching staff. And it, it, you're right. It's it's very exciting to have someone like that on this team. It's been a while in terms of a homegrown, you know, this is our guy, right? And it, it's it's coming. But I, I think this was another in the, the kind of long line, at least in 2021 and at the end of 2022, a long line of those kind of building block starts, right? And he'll get there. And eventually, you know, he'll be in the position where he's making that pitch to Jose Ramirez, and he's making that pitch to Cesar Hernandez, and he's not giving up those home runs, and he's outdueling Shane Bieber completely, right? Yeah. And I he sort of did the other day, right? He just ends up getting the loss um, because of the home runs. Um, but that's coming. And so I, I, I just preach patience with it because I know we all kind of want those results right away, especially, you know, with Hendricks kind of having a slower start. You kind of want somebody in this rotation to start tossing out those like really dominant outings. But Alzali is, is a big, big part of the future of this team. And he, he's doing everything right so far. So just, you know, strap in. Go along for the journey because I I think the the payoff is going to be really special. It might be beyond his control in terms of him going deeper into games, right? I was thinking about that as you were talking, and we know he's on an innings limit, right? We we don't know if he's even on like a pitch limit. I don't know what that would even mean for this type of pitching staff. But I was thinking this is maybe a very difficult situation for this coaching staff to navigate. Difficult because the Cubs need wins. They need to stay competitive. And their pitching, although it's been better with Davies and Hendricks, has struggled within the last two, three, four weeks. So what do you do with two conflicting intentions? One, you want to win games, but two, you want to protect your potential future ace. Do you you know what I'm trying to say? This is this is a very difficult situation. And it it may not be, hey, Adbert cannot get through the order third time. It may be we need to protect Adber from innings, from pitches, to sustain his health, to set the team up 
beyond this year. And I don't know how to handle that right now because I want to win these games. And I think this team as constructed has potential to be a competitive playoff team. But right now, if Davies doesn't uh, step up and at least continue some of his recent success, and we know Kyle will normalize, but we've got to get Jake Arrieta back healthy and normal. Like, if these guys don't step up, I'm a little concerned that we're not going to be able to see Adbert even get the chance to go deep. Maybe he'll have to pitch like once every fifth day on like a four or five, six inning max. But if the other starters do well, it might give Ross and the pitching staff more leeway to say, hey, all right, Alzali, you know, take one start off because we have this depth. And when you come back, Here's your seven inning test. Here's your eight inning test. Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's like yeah. the other the other success of Arietta and Davies and Hendricks and going down deeper if we have Tyson Miller come up or if Keegan Thompson gets more spot starts. Like we need those starters to do well so that Alzali might get those chances as the season progresses to go through the order three times. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's it, it's a trickier thing to articulate, but it, it's kind of what I was getting at as well with, you know, kind of uh, preaching patience because you want somebody on this staff to be delivering those kind of dominant uh, ace-like outings. And I think Hendricks will, will get there. It's just a slow start. But in the meantime, Alzali looks like the person you would look at and go, well, he'll do it, right? But mm-hmm. the person you're talking about is very young is a big part of the future and came into the season on an innings limit, right? So you're tr- it's it's that tricky balance and and we've talked about this with some of these other guys, right? Where you're they they've fallen a bit further in the division. They're four and a half out of first place, but that's still well within striking distance, especially considering the Cubs haven't even played the Cardinals yet, right? They haven't. Yeah, even you're, seen... one, you're one week away from being like right back in the in the running, right? You know? And and you haven't even played some of the teams in the division yet. So right. you know, certainly right. we're we're uh, not at all in any territory where you're like writing off their competitiveness um, just because you know they're back under 500. But you know, you you're you're trying to balance that with where these guys are in their development and where you want them to be in the future and winning now, winning later, it's, it gets a little complicated, you know, and, and they're not all, you know, they're not apples to apples situations, but, you know, you look at situations like Ian Happ, you look at situations like Nico Horner and some of these other guys, and it, it has a similar vibe where you're kind of like, okay, well, what is the win now decision but where does that leave me with this guy's future development because he's, you know, 23 years old or 25 years old, whatever it is? And then where does that leave me for next season? And it's it's tricky to balance is is basically what it comes down to. And it's it's especially tricky for someone like Adbear because he is on an innings limit. He's he, we, we knew that coming into the year. He was not going to be able to pitch every fifth day over the course of 162 games. That just isn't going to happen. It was never going to happen. So it it does sort of, uh, I, I agree with you, it, it does sort of put some pressure on some of these other guys because you want to be able to deploy Alzali strategically and let him do his thing and try to flourish. But at the same time, you, you kind of need the rest of the rotation to be consistently pitching like we've seen them over this last bit so that you're a little more comfortable with when you're using him, how you're using him. And, and you don't you don't have David Ross and Tommy Hadovy feeling like, well, you know, he kind of feels like our best pitcher most of the yeah, time, but we can't, I mean, exactly. we can't yeah. burn him out. We, we, we are not able to, you know, so how right. do we, how do we manage that? And it's a tough spot, but I, I think if you are thinking about things, I mean, first of all, he's delivering great outings when he's going out there for the 2021 Chicago Cubs. They'll figure out how to deploy him properly as we go along here. Um, but if you are looking at the big picture and you are thinking about the upcoming off seasons and all the changes that the Cubs may make from a player perspective, from a roster perspective, etc., Adbear looking like a top-of-the-rotation guy right now by the end of the year is so critical to the future of this team right and and it's not just Alzali it's guys like Justin Steele as well it's guys like Nico Horner there there's plenty of these guys there's a reason that we focus on the kind of future oriented nature of some of these players uh and it's it's very simple right like we don't none of us know 
what the budget situation is going to be, what the extension situation is going to be, uh, you know, when the Cubs are going to go back over that luxury tax in terms of their payroll. But Brendan, you know what makes all of those discussions a lot easier for everybody involved? If the Cubs can churn out as many young and controlled players as they possibly can to fill out those roster spots, right? If you don't need to spend money on a top-of-the-rotation starter because you can pencil in Adbear Alzali, guess what? You don't have to spend money on one, and you can give it to Anthony Rizzo, okay, or Chris Bryant, which is what they should be doing with it. So that's why we're focused on this stuff, and, and we'll see how this season plays out in terms of all of that, but you have to kind of have a, a future eye, as as Jed Hoyer sort of said in, in the beginning of the offseason. Like, you, you kind of have to have your eye there because that's what the organization is doing. I want to transition to the offense. Uh, just want to update you guys with where we are. It is about 11.15 Central Time in Chicago on Wednesday, May 12th, as we record this. Chris Bryant pinch hits in the game on Wednesday. He left the game on Tuesday. Uh, The team said that he was dealing with some allergies, some sinus stuff, having trouble breathing. As somebody with uh, similar allergies, I can vouch that that uh, certainly does seem like a thing that is possible. And I'm sitting on my couch watching Chris Bryant try to run around in the outfield, so I, I can't even imagine that at certain times. Um, and then Wednesday, he came in to pinch hit in a, in a late spot uh, for David Bodie and naturally got hit in the wrist with a uh, fastball. So that's really awesome that he wasn't even going to play. Pinch hits, and of course, the ball finds him there. Uh, so that's spectacular. So uh, the team is calling it a contusion. Chris didn't really react like it was uh, super severe. I mean, we've seen guys take balls off the forearm or the wrist or the hand and react like something felt really bad and really wrong. Just because KB didn't doesn't necessarily mean that all is clear, but after the game, the team says it's just a contusion. He'll use the off day to get better, and, you know, they'll reevaluate on Friday. So it doesn't sound the alarms uh, immediately, but like I said, it's Wednesday night. It's late. Check in on the off day with the beat writers, the Cubs, and then certainly on Friday before the Cubs start up with Detroit, I would imagine either Chris will be playing or we'll have a clearer update on that. So that is where we are on that. Uh, That is what we know at the moment. So turning to the offense, uh, I think the first place to go is someone who is, it's nice to see uh, them playing well because it, it certainly wasn't a good start. And that is Jock Peterson, who had uh, a very nice series here in Cleveland, goes two for five in the first game, and then he goes three for five in the game on Wednesday. So a very nice series for Jock. And the you know the numbers starting to creep up. He's going the other way with some of these balls, getting extra base hits. Now the power hasn't uh, come in terms of the home runs, which of course is uh, somewhat ironic, I guess, just because all he was doing in spring training was dropping bombs. But that'll come. He's throughout his career, he's shown that that's uh, certainly one of his best attributes is the ability to. Uh, pop one really easily with the power that he has. But just nice to see him coming along, and it's it's really at a crucial time, right? Because you still have guys like Jason Hayward, David Bodie struggling pretty mightily at the plate. Um, you've got guys like Hap and Horner and Marisnik, of course, on the injured list. And, you know, it sounds like Nico's going to be back this weekend in Detroit. They sounded unsure of Ian Happ, the the exact timeline on that. They they I mean they came out and said more confident on ne- that Nico will be back this weekend. Not sure on Ian Happ. Um, so that's kind of the the state of things. Jake Marisnik, uh, it it sounds okay for now, but of course he's going to miss at least those ten days with the hamstring. Uh, but it sounds like at least they uh, perhaps avoided some catastrophe of an injury there. But you know, coming back from that, we'll see. So it's all just to say the Cubs needed Jock Peterson to step up like this because you just have some other guys struggling, um, and it's it's good for him and it's good for the team right now. Jock looks pretty interesting, Corey. Like I, I've been I've been tough on on Jock, uh, maybe maybe unfairly. Uh, he he's looked bad to start the season and. When he went down due to that hand injury, it's like, all right, well, maybe that's why after coming off a spring in which he hit nine home runs. So he came back from that hand injury. All of a sudden, he looks a little bit 
different and we're seeing some more recent success. Uh, so I just want to point this out. In that Wednesday game, he had three batted balls over 105 miles per hour of exit velocity. He had one that was a single, hit at 106. He had another single at 107. And then that double off Brian Shaw at 110. And so we haven't seen Jock do that since March, dude. It's been like a month and a half. And so the question I asked was like, is there anything different? Does he look different from when he hurt himself back in late April to now? And I think like, if, if if you are curious, go back and watch videos of his at-bats, even recently against Pittsburgh, but more recently against Cleveland, and compare that to the games just before he went on the injured list. And it should pop out the differences right away. And the differences I saw were that before the injury, more pre-pitch movement, more pre-pitch bat movement, a little bit more loose with his body posture comes back from the injured list and within the last week more or less movement pre-pitch with his hands he's already somewhat in an athletic position this stride is still the same as it was before but his his mechanism to getting ready is cleaner and it reminded me of all the different iterations Schwarber went through back in the day Schwarber had some times where he had like no pre-pitch movement. He had times where he had a pretty intense quote-unquote bat waggle. And that was how he ended his career with the Cubs. He had way more pre-pitch movement. And that, I guess, anecdotally coincided with more success for Schwarber. So everyone's different. This is not to say, hey, Jock is having success because of these changes. It could just be a mental thing. And I don't even know if these changes are really that informative, but it's just something to watch, right? Like when you see some of these changes being made so immediately, and then you see success right away. It's like, huh, all right, well, let's see if this keeps happening. And so many of these guys on the on the Cubs have done this over the years. I mean, Wilson Contreras is another example, and he continues to change. I mean, I think three, four years ago, Willie had this toe tap. He had this toe tap that he implemented for about an entire season. Toe tap went away toe tap comes back every now and then and even this year every now and then he has this like toe tap thing kind of like a Sammy Sosa style so these guys are always going through changes and I think for Jock this is a, a noticeable change and it's finally nice to see him get some success that being said I'm still disappointed by his defense I think the fact that you saw Chris Bryant play center field recently over Jock Peterson who came up through the system in LA as a center fielder is pretty telling um you know, when Jock was signed, I had the idea that if Hap needed to sit against uh, against lefties or if Hap needed some days off, well, it's kind of nice to have Jock Peterson be your backup center fielder, but I guess that's not going to be our reality. And I know with Marisnik, that was kind of the backup case, but he's he's injured now, and his success was not inevitable when he was signed. So in my mind, I'm like, all right, we have multiple center field options if you include Jock. That's not happening. I'm disappointed with that, and I'm disappointed with how he's playing left field, but maybe that's a small sample size thing. Maybe he's going to get his bearing straight with more familiarity and Wrigley, but his offense looks good, man. I think that's really important for this team right now. That way you can get some of these guys in their more natural positions. It's important, I think, for someone like Nico to get more opportunities at second base instead of maybe left field because Jock Peterson is going through massive struggles. So that's that's like the interconnectedness I was talking about with the pitching staff and having like Zach Davies and Arietta and these one-year guys. It's important for them to still have success because of the effect on young guys. I think the same thing can be said about Jock. One-year deal, his success is important so that Nico gets more chances at positions he's more likely to play in the future. For Jock, he's 12 for 26 since coming off of the injured list, so he looks good at the plate. And, uh, you know, certainly it it kind of sounds like something that we've said many times in the past, um, but you're just kind of waiting for them all to be healthy and for them all to look normal at the same time. Um, you know, because of course now you've got Jock going the right direction, but you've got Hayward and Bodie in particular going the wrong direction. You've got Hap out, you've got Marisnik out. Um, you know, and in the beginning of the season, Jock wasn't going right, but some of these other guys were. So it's just sort of a familiar tale. 
well, right? Where we're kind of hoping and wishing that they can have their 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 best lineup out there every day, and some of you know most of the guys are clicking all at the same time. Uh, but it's it's been a nice it's it's been nice to see from Jock, and and I think you know obviously when a guy is struggling as mightily as he was in that first month or whatever, so visually he just clearly looks to be in a better place, seeing the ball better. Uh, I think everybody watching the games was just more confident when he was coming up in those big spots and you know with runners on and stuff like that, and he delivered in in a lot of ways in this series. So keeping on the good offensive side of of things, uh, Wilson Contreras, you know we talked about him. I think in the last episode that he had been in a kind of a couple few week funk a little bit that had really brought his numbers down. Um, but a very nice series here. He goes two for three in the first game, four for five uh, in the second game. And, you know, now he's back. His, his OPS is over 800. Um, and he's, you know, he, he's always been a streaky kind of guy, Brendan. He just sort of goes through those stretches where he just doesn't look good. And you're like, what's going on with this guy at the plate? And, you know, that next week he's ripping everything. He's making contact all over the place, using the whole field. Um, So that just, you know, maybe is just uh, kind of who he is. But, you know, I I, I just wanted to bring that up because, you know, his his numbers are obviously trending in the right direction. He had a really good series. And we had just wondered aloud, you know, if uh, the, the kind of lingering injury that he had had or a lot of the playing time, you know, catching so many innings for this team as the Cubs uh, backup catcher situation isn't as as secure as it has been in years past. You know, was that affecting him this or the other? So just nice to see him have a really nice series, getting a ton of hits. You know, do, pulling his weight for sure. Uh, he was really almost him and Jock basically pulling the entire weight almost of this offense for these uh, two games. So it's just nice to see and and glad to see his numbers kind of getting back to a more normal place for him. Nico should be back this weekend. They're not as sure on Hap. They they said he's a little more behind in that recovery process, but hopefully that's soon, right? And let's err on the side of hope. And, you know, KB's got a contusion on his wrist. It's a bruise. He takes the off day on Thursday, maybe sits out Friday just to be cautious. But let's let's hope he's back this weekend as well, right? So with I, I want to look at at, at David Bodie um, as someone, you know, kind of in particular, just because of, you know, where he plays on the field. Um, obviously, if Nico comes back, you're going to want him in there. If KB is back, you've got to get him in there. Jock is starting to hit the ball now. Um, so the, the, the positions, as we've discussed, kind of get a little clogged at times. But David Bodie's been a very interesting player. And, and we brought up a, a, a sort of a very similar situation with Ian Happ in that Bodie's StatCast numbers, um, the data really thinks he should be better than his output so far. Um, if you look at some of these numbers for the year 2021, which of course is the year we're in, his barrel rate, the percentage of, of batted balls that are barreled up, would be the highest of his career at 14.5%. Um, his expected WOBA is 348, which would also be the highest of his career, but his actual WOBA is 246. And the reason I, I sort of focus on David Bodie is because he won the job out of spring training. That's what we were all told. He was going to get an opportunity to be the starter. David Ross said it was David Bodie's time, right? The issue here, Brendan, and it, it's sort of similar to Hap, in, is that at some point, the expected numbers, the stat cast numbers, you know, looking at exit velocity and launch angle and all that stuff and, and sort of believing that a guy deserves better results doesn't really matter that much, right, if they're not translating to the field. And they have not done that pretty drastically for David Bodie. So his line after the series in Cleveland is a 180 batting average with a 259 on base and a 280 slugging. That's good for a 245 Woba and a 54 WRC plus. Uh, and that would have him as a below replacement level player on the year. He's at about negative uh, 0.5 wins above replacement. That's really not good, Brendan. So I, I'm curious, as these guys start to come back, how do you, how would you, or how do you think the, the Cubs coaching staff and stuff, how do you balance that, right? We're almost a month and a half into the season, and some of the underlying data 
says this guy deserves better and is doing things you want him to be doing, right? He's barreling the ball at a, at a higher rate than he has in his whole career. That's good. That's what you want. But it's not translating to results on the field. And it sort of leaves you with the question of what ex- what exactly do we do here? Because you end up in a scenario where you're going to want Nico in there. You have Matt Duffy, who uh, you know didn't have a- as big of a series in Cleveland, but it's been sort of a, a point this season about how making more contact and having guys like Duffy in the lineup have have sort of diversified things, have have given this lineup a different and maybe better feel at times. So what do you do about someone like David Bodie, where you're 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 seeing one thing on on one side, but you're seeing something sort of completely different on the other. In one sense, we talk about expected numbers, like expected weighted on base average, and use that as a proxy to at least determine how much luck or misfortune you've experienced in the past, while also trying to predict the future. And I think it's dangerous to do that somewhat in this type of a small sample. And I think really you have to watch these games closely because one example of how this can be dangerous is Ian Happ's situation where if you look at the grand sum of his expected numbers it looks good it looks like he's gotten really unlucky and he has but at the same time it's dangerous because if you look recently before Happ got hurt and before his little brief stretch of success there getting base hits he was really lost at the dish. But if you go to Baseball Savant, you go to Fangraphs, and you see some of these expected numbers in the exit velo, you may get lost in the reality of what's going on. And I say that as a word of caution when you look at these numbers. For Bodie, the numbers, the expected numbers, match what I've seen recently at the dish. And People are going to have different interpretations or opinions or see different things, and I get it. But when I watch David Bodie at bat, I'm watching a more confident player than what we've seen in years past. I'm watching a guy who is adapting and doing so, in my view, successfully. And I bring a few examples up that I can share here. One is he had his first extra base hit against an up fastball over 97 miles per hour in his career a few weeks ago. Another example is that his expected batting average, not his expected weight on base average, but his expected batting average is almost 100 points higher than his actual batting average. So he is getting unlucky. And his his overall recent stretch is also suggesting that too, visually when you just look at him play. And so when you bring up the point, where and what do we do with Bodie? Do we play him at second base? Do you play him at third base? I think about this both in the context of now and the future. And in the now, I mean, this is a recurring thing, and I get the intent here with Ross because maybe the mashups do make sense in that case. Eric Sogard has no utility for me in 2022. Like, I think you can flip a coin and that flipping of the coin is going to be more predictive of who's going to be valuable in the month of May between Bodie and Sogard. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it's like, I I can't watch Sogard play baseball, dude. You know, like I know he had a home run off Bieber. I know like he has the contact oriented. Like I get it. I'm not blind to it. I get what they're trying to do, but it's like, all right, well, how much more valuable is that and how much more predictive of the Cubs' success in May and June is Sogard versus Bodie? Yeah. And I can't buy the argument that that is substantially more predictive. So in that sense, like, I watch Bodie. I like what I'm seeing. Yeah, he's messy at the dish sometimes. Yeah, he's he's kind of a klutz in the field at times. And he's going to make some bo- some bonehead base running mistakes, as we've seen recently. But, like... I want to see him still refine that. Maybe he never will. Like, I'm not saying he's going to do it, but I at least want to give him the chance to do it. And if anything, I'm comfortable and confident that in the future, if he continues to look like this at the dish, then the base hits are going to fall. The extra base, are, the extra base hits are going to fall. And I, to me, that's the contrast. It's not Bodie versus Nico because the injuries are so prominent right now. It's Bodie versus Sogard, dude. And I can't watch Sogard play on this team 
as a starting player, like I can't do it, Corey. Yeah, I, I think that they've been um, much more appropriate about the playing time for Sogard than I was worried about. If you guys remember when we talked about it at first, I was worried that he was going to be leading off for this team because they were going to sell out for content contact. I, I think we have Matt Duffy probably to thank for for that not happening because yeah. they have somebody making contact and doing it better. Um, it, it was funny the other night. So uh, of course, as it stands, I really haven't said anything about Sogard on, on Twitter for a while. And after he grounded into the inning ending double play, when they had Bieber on the ropes, uh, I think with the bases loaded early in that game, I just tweeted like straight up, like Eric Sogard sucks. Right. And so of course, of course, that's the night he hits his first home run, and it gives the Cubs the lead. And not too many people, but I did get kind of a few replies that were like, oh, you know, what about now? What about now? He hit one home run, right? Leave me alone. He followed that up with an 0 for 5 day with a strikeout and 6 left on base. He's got a 617 OPS and a 246 batting average for a guy that's supposed to be making a bunch of contact. He sucks, right? A guy hitting one home run doesn't change that. I'm glad he hit the home run, right? I'm watching the Cubs. He's in the lineup. I want him to do well. I want the Cubs to win, right? But like one good event does not erase everything else. He's not good. And you're right. I do think the real point is not necessarily about that because at at, at a certain point, it feels somewhat disingenuous to focus on that because Hayward's batting average in OPS is worse, markedly worse, right? Ildemar Vargas has been getting chances way worse. Bodie's way worse, right? So the, the focus isn't necessarily on Sogard, but it's on what you said, Brendan. It's on this guy is in his mid 30s. He has no value to this organization beyond whatever value he has in 2021, which I don't think is very much, right? So that's the key issue, right? And right now, it's not really too prominent because so many guys are hurt, right? And especially you needed a DH in these games in Cleveland. There's not really much else to do, right? But once these guys start coming back, I'm with you. I, I think if in in situations where you're able to put out your best eight players, um, you know, when everybody's healthy, I'm not sure how much Bodie's cracking that. Um, if you have Nico out there, if you have Hat back and he's performing, at, you know, more at the level you're expecting from him and, and that we all kind of know he should be at. Um, if KB is back and, and healthy and, and things like that, I'm not sure how often I'm I'm going to be, uh, you know, super insistent upon Bodie getting in there. But again, remember, like, this is a guy the Cubs have locked up for a few more years. He is on a, a very team-friendly deal um, that is, you know, not something that is leaving too big of an impression in their payroll and stuff. And you you have those numbers. So, you know, kind of like you said, and, and as we talked about with Ian Happ, you don't want to get too bogged down in those stat cast numbers or those expected numbers because ultimately, right, like you want to look at those to predict things, to look at the future and to understand what a guy has been doing, but it's got to translate to the field at some point, right? Um, but when you have a guy that you have under contract, and who doesn't have that much MLB playing time, you know, under his belt, like a guy that's barreling up the ball at the rate he is, a guy that has the ability to hit the ball as hard as he does, like you said, Brendan, you want to see what you can do to kind of massage that out, right, and see if you can get better results. It it becomes kind of jarring on a day like Wednesday, um, even with the injuries, you know, the bottom portion of the Cubs lineup. Like, let me read these numbers that the Cubs threw out there on Wednesday after Javi Baez, who hit in the four spot. David Bodie, a 539 OPS. This is after Wednesday's game. Jason Hayward, a 561 OPS. Ildemar Vargas, a 488 OPS. I think that might be worse than John Lester in 2019, just for just for reference. Um, Jock Peterson, 658. So his is, of course, lower because he had been struggling earlier in the year. So his is kind of skewing that bottom of the order. And then Sogard at 617. That's gross, Brendan. Like, yeah, that's really happen. gross. I mean, 5 can't through happen. 9, that is, <laughs> that, that is really <laughs> gross. Um, yeah. Again, you've got the injuries, but I, I think 
some of the spotlight is going to be on some of these guys because those numbers are bad, right? Like there, there's a difference between guys, you know, struggling and their numbers maybe not being where you'd expect. You know, like Rizzo's at a 782 OPS. He's hitting 230. That's not his career norm. By the end of the year, he'll be better than that. His career numbers are, are, are better than that. And but that's the kind of thing where you go, yeah, like you know, he's he's not at been his best. It hasn't been his best start to a season. Whatever. Some of the you know a five forty OPS, five sixty for Jason Hayward. That's that's bad. Like that's like okay, you know, we've got some black holes in this lineup territory, and there's not an immediate answer until these guys come back. But I do think the the reason we bring all this up is the level to which some of these guys have struggled does present somewhat of a conundrum for David Ross when other people come back because you're going to have to make decisions on who's getting in that lineup, who's getting those opportunities. And with some of these guys, it's, it's a difficult case to argue that they should be the ones receiving them. If you look at his rolling expected weighted on base average, I use this to determine like, how he's looking within the last week or two weeks. And if you look at it by 10 plate appearances, okay, just on the average, Bodie, since last week, and he, again, roll this over, average 10 plate appearances, expected weight on base average of 473, okay? So this is not similar to what we saw with Ian Happ, where he started the year off super unlucky, hitting the ball really hard and then for about a two-week stretch went off the cliff so that's how I personally when I watch these games I want to match it with some data but also this is the type of stuff I try to look at to see if my eyes are correct and I think I think they are correct but I'm wrong a lot so who who knows so that that's where I'm at, man. Like I want to see, I want to see Bodie. I want to see Nico. I said it about a few weeks ago, but I think it's the perfect opportunity to compare the two players if they're in the same lineup because they get to see the same pitchers. That's like a good reference. It's a good control to see how these guys adapt against the same exact pitching. I want to see that. It's informative for this year, 2022, 2023, and they both end up succeeding even better, man. It's just at this point, it's like no more no more of this nonsense. No more Eric Sogard. Duffy's different, right? Duffy has a more consistent track record. I mean, Sogard's been one of the most volatile players from season to season. It's hard to predict this guy. Yeah, so th- this is a unique one, man. Like we've uh, we've been talking about this team for a little while now, and and this is definitely uh, you know uh, the most volatile all of this is. Like we we've had so many years where there wasn't really much discussion about who was playing every day. Like the most we would get into was like, eh, should this guy be playing every day or almost every day, right? Like, or how do we get this guy more at bats? But, you know, generally like you had like five, six plus positions where it's just like, yeah, no, this guy starts every day. Like so this is, uh, you know, it's driven by injuries uh, for the most part right now, but it's 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 the most kind of aggressive discussion that we've had of it just like who should be playing I don't know what do we make of this guy's struggles what does it mean for the future there's there's a lot going on so um I I don't necessarily envy the job of the Cubs coaching staff in front office trying to figure all of this out and as we've talked about a lot balancing winning now winning in the future whatever you're going to do at the trade deadline or anything like that it's it's tricky but before we preview this uh series with the tigers i I just want to talk in general for a second here about um the way that this season has gone because i i think it was interesting as the cubs play two more one-run games uh against cleveland here they have played a ton of one-run games. So if you go back to that Red series uh, in Cincinnati, the final two games of that series were one-run games. Uh, the Cubs won one, they lost one. The last two games of the Dodgers series, the second doubleheader game and the finale, both one-run games. The Cubs won both of those. All three games against the Pirates, one-run games. The Cubs win two, they lose one. And then both of these games against Cleveland, one-run games, Cubs lose both of them. So what's my point? My point is that we've talked kind of coming into the season how this was going, you know, the Cubs looked 
competitive. They they looked like they could compete in this division, which which they are, and I, I think they can still. Um, but that they they had such a, a a potential variance in their outcomes, right? They could hit that higher level, maybe creep into those low nineties if things went really well. They could things could not go well, and maybe they'd end up in the high 70s or low 80s or something like that. But we kind of, most people, I I think, saw them kind of sitting in those mid-80s, high 80s, if things went okay to good, right? And it's just sort of remarkable to me, and maybe it shouldn't be, but just kind of how, like, predictable this season has gone. Um, it, 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 it doesn't surprise me that this team is playing in a lot of one-run games because as we knew kind of coming in, on a given day, they're not a markedly better roster than whoever they're playing, and they're not a markedly worse roster than whoever they're playing. They have a pitching staff that has been on at times, has been bad at times. They've got an offense that has been good at times, uh, you know, for uh, a stretch of several weeks, you know, really up until the, this like pirate series, they had been one of the better offenses in the league, right? And then of course, back to the beginning of the season and these two games in Cleveland, completely absent, right? You can't find them. And it's all just to say, I, I think this season is going about exactly as you would have expected it's it's all in those little margins, right? And it all goes back to, you know, th- these injuries hurt because this team is certainly not built to survive on their depth um, as they have been more equipped to in past years. But I, it, it doesn't, there, there isn't like a conclusion from me saying this. I just feel like it's, it's quite interesting uh, that I believe like nine of their last 10 games have been decided by one run. And that sounds about right for this team, Brendan. The margin is very, very thin. It's going to be a lot of close games. We've seen so many games, right? You know, we just come off a series where the pitching is great. Five runs in two games to the Indians, one of them coming in extra innings, right? Pitching is great. The offense just isn't there. And how many games have we had where the offense is there and that's the night, you know, Zach Davies or someone blows up and they, they can't overcome it. It's it's just sort of the the tale of a team that was built like this. Uh, you know, they're they're not running away toward that higher variance where they're just outperforming all of the projection systems and expectations and stuff like that. And they're not severely underperforming them either. That's why they're a couple games under five hundred. They're a handful of games out of the division and you know, you 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 improve some of those things, you do a little better at some of those things, you pick up a few more of those one run games, you're in a better spot. You don't, yeah. it gets a little worse. It 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 just to me stood out how kind of like I'm kind of looking at the schedule and and kind of looking back at at where we stand after this series, and I'm just sort of thinking to myself, like, yeah, that adds up. This sounds about exactly like this season was going to go. Unfortunately, it's just not right now hitting that kind of higher end. They had a a rough stretch, man. They played, remember, Atlanta, the Mets, Cincinnati, the Dodgers. They faced some really promising and imposing pitching staffs. And so, yeah, we're below 500. Yeah, we're 17 and 19 and four and a half out. But it's not to say, oh, it could be worse or whatever, but it's not surprising. Like, to go through a stretch like this, let's say in July or August, to face these pitchers, it'd be like, yeah, you know, that's kind of what you expected. And they're still in a position to turn it around. Like, all it takes is one or two weeks when you're in striking distance of four and a half games to, to get back on track. And then, you know, what other team is better to do that against than a 12 and 24 Detroit Tigers uh, squad? Okay. So we have a three game set against Detroit. That first game is Friday. 6.10 p.m. Central start time. This is in Detroit. Detroit, as of now, again, we're recording this almost midnight in Chicago. This will be, I guess, Wednesday at midnight, Thursday morning. I'm, I'm always bad at doing that. Uh, but you get the gist of it. So we do have Jake Arrieta on the mound coming back from the IL. Jake on the year is 3-3 three and three with a 4.31 ERA. And then on Saturday, uh, again, no starters announced for this Detroit Tiger series. So I don't know what's going on there, but this is how it is. Uh, Saturday, 3.10 p.m. Central Start Time. I hate, hate, 
hate those types of start times. Trevor Williams on the mound for the Cubs, 2-2, two and two, a 5.81 ERA. Seriously, like make those night games for the love of God. On Sunday, we have 12.10 p.m. Uh, Central start time. That's fine on Sunday. Uh, Kyle Hendricks on the mound for the Cubs, a 2-4 and four record, a 6.23 ERA. Uh, Kyle's looked good the last two starts. I know the last start, he had a rough first inning there, but that was fluky. The stuff looked good. The changeup looked good. The velo looked good. The mechanics looked good. I think... This could be a good opportunity to now showcase and get some run prevention based on some of the stuff that's looked good recently. And that's it, man. Again, Detroit's 12 and 24, the Cubs 17 and 19, right now, four and a half games back. This is the team to get things going. And then just to look ahead, uh, they do have a three game set coming up, actually, four game set coming up against the Washington Nationals, Corey, who are also not off to the best start. They're 13 and 19. So all this is saying you have 17 games, uh, seven games against substantially below 500 baseball teams. So no more Braves, no more Dodgers, no more Reds. Uh, no more Mets. Like this is the point of the season where you need to take advantage of these types of series. If you're going to be on the margins the entire year, then at least against these weaker teams like Detroit, you got to win them. Not saying, hey, you have to sweep or you're screwed, but you got to win this series, man. You got to take advantage of this type of schedule. No question. And not to, you know, kind of put pressure on things or, you know, kind of take a, a darker turn, but you're you're running out of time. I mean, straight up, like that's just the reality. I, I don't know, you know, how itchy Jed Hoyer is to start moving things, things like that. But you're 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 four and a half out. You're behind three other teams in the NL Central, and you're only a couple games ahead of the Pirates. It's a clogged division. We knew it would be. And keep in mind, when I'm saying this, this isn't my. I, I'm not saying this from my perspective, right? I've said a million times, I think this team is, is right in the thick of it. They can totally win this division. I haven't wavered on that from anything we've seen. But we, we just know that the front office has some stuff to deal with, right? And when you're dealing with so many injuries, if you fall too far in the division, if you create too big of a hole as we move toward June here, uh, you know, especially when you are playing a team like the Indians and now coming up here on the Tigers, you're going to put Jed maybe not in a place where he's going to start moving guys, but you you make it increasingly more difficult for him to even consider contributing anything to this team, right? Or leaving it alone and, and saying, look, they've got a chance to win. We'll you know, throw some qualifying offers out and we'll see what happens, right? You, you, they, they have to turn it around to a degree and, and start to make some headway in this division because we are, you know, barreling toward the trade deadline. It's, it's a while away, but we just don't know how much time they have. And the longer they kind of, you know, um, tread water around 500 the the longer you know guys are getting hurt and then they're just not at full strength it, it's it's not going to be a situation where jed is compelled to put any resources into this group right it's going to turn quickly into okay we've got to look toward the future like this just ain't it for the moment and I, it's it's not how I feel, that's just the sense that you get. And, and maybe I'm wrong. Like, I'm not Jed Hoyer. I don't have his phone number. I, I don't know what he's going to do. But when you read all the tea leaves, when you read all between the lines and you listen to everything that they said, that's just the sense that you get. And it's one thing to kind of look a little weird and be struggling out of the gate in April, right? But we're in mid-May now, right? The, the the calendar is rapidly flipping. The games are being crossed off on the calendar. So I don't I don't think that, you know, they need to rip off like a 10-game win streak to save everything or anything like that. But it, it's just a reminder, like, they've, they've got to kind of show something in the way of consistent winning and getting themselves into that, that top spot there in the NL Central because I, I just worry that the longer they're kind of mired in that that middle ground, you know, going up and below, up and below 500, that the runway is getting shorter and shorter. That's just the sense that I get. I think it's the sense most of you get. It seems to be the sense that a lot of the beat writers get, that there there just isn't a lot of time for them to prove 
that this group can get it done. Me believing it, you guys believing it, Brendan believing it, that's ultimately not the opinion that's going to matter. So not to, you know, darken things up a little bit, but we just know that's the reality. I keep using that, you know, kind of uh, metaphor. I mean, you darkened it up. I I did, yeah. I, I, you know— I keep using Happy Friday. Well, you know, enjoy your off day, everybody. Um, <laughs> Jesus. I keep using that kind of metaphor of like that cloud kind of hanging over us. All I'm saying is it sort of feels like it's getting darker, right? Like, you know, when you look at a cloud and you're like, oh, I think it's going to rain. Then it gets to, oh, it's definitely going to rain, right? Like, you know. I mean, I- that's my concern. I, I mean, not to like work overtime here, but like my my biggest concern for this season and I, you know this, Corey. My biggest concern is that Jed, the front office, they they get quick happy feet here and start considering trades earlier. And who better to trade right now than the MVP candidate, Ugh. Chris Bryant? I and I, I, I there is a greater than fifty percent chance that I will have to call out for work for at least two, three, four days if that happens. Um, that would be devastating. And, yeah. you know, people would say, oh, well, you can sign back here in the free Asian market come this, you know, this next offseason. Yeah, that's the case. But, like, Chris, we know Chris is kind of like a homebody. At least he suggested that. And so, yeah, maybe he wants to stay in Chicago. But if you trade him and he goes somewhere else, maybe he gets more comfortable with the yeah, idea. Yeah, that's, that's that they too can- risky a proposition. And I so like that happened to Lester, right? Like you and I were talking about this. Lester loved Boston, and when he got traded to Oakland, like Lester said, he wanted to go back to to Boston when he got traded, but he went to Oakland. And John said himself, it gave him the freedom to adapt and be comfortable elsewhere. Where did he go? Did not go back to Boston. Went to the Cubs. Won a World Series. Became a legend on a different team. And Rizzo said that can happen to him. And that could happen to anyone on this team. I don't want them to even get that sip of that even being a potential for them, right? Yeah, it's a lot to uh, it's a lot to consider. And you know, again, like not to you know sort of like completely like you know dampen the mood here at the end of the pod, but I, I think we would be doing a disservice if we didn't touch on some of this stuff because it it's not. This season is is quite simply not as simple as, oh, the Cubs lost two games to the Indians. Okay, moving on, on to the Tigers. It, it's just not. I wish that it was, but it's just not. And I, I, we're not going to harp on it every episode because you guys know the deal. And at least at this point in the season, like there's no new information there. But we would be remiss, I think, not to at least address those things and, and how the way they're playing and all that other stuff affects the fluctuation of these things so that's the way it is as you guys know in my view uh what they should do instead of what we were just talking about is extend chris bryant extend anthony rizzo uh so that they can be best friends and brizzo lives on in chicago for the rest of their careers and they go out and try to win another world series together so that would be my choice uh i have written to Tom Ricketts, and uh, hopefully he'll get back to me on that suggestion. So um, anyway, that's what we have. Enjoy your off day on Thursday. Take a breather, uh, and hopefully the Cubs can head to Detroit there and uh, get themselves some wins. Um, it's 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 been a weird season, like I said, kind of how you would have expected in one way or the other, uh, but still, you know the the ups and downs of a team hovering around 500. It's it's pretty stressful. So uh, we're with you. Enjoy your off day. Take a breather, and uh, hopefully some of the boys are healthier on Friday. Hopefully we get some of those guys back, and we can uh, start a new win streak there on on Friday in Detroit. So as always, we thank you guys for listening to the Cubs related podcast, engaging with us on social media, leaving those five star reviews on the Apple Store. And otherwise, we will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening, and as always, go Cubs.